this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of uh, CSA and your host for the CSA podcast. And today we're doing another episode in the Security Leaders series. And if you've tuned in before, you know that we're um, I interview security leaders uh, across industry and uh, it, you know it's with as much diversity you know as possible about their story, their journey, and see what we can learn from them. And without fail, there's always some uh, some interesting discoveries. And today I'm excited to have somebody on the show that I've uh, I've known for some years because he's really going to be coming at this from a different perspective. We we haven't had someone in his his kind of position yet, uh, you know, yet do this interview. And so, I mean, my my desire to have a checklist and co- kind of collecting a lot of different kinds of uh, perspectives, this is going to be another one today. So today I've got Mark Bristow, and his his current title is a bit of a mouthful, and he's going to have to explain it. He's the branch chief for cyber defense coordination and operations in threat hunting as part of uh, Department of Homeland Security. And so we'll we'll get to... Um, such a long title, and, and he'll have to explain that. But Mark is, uh, you know, is well known in the industry. As some of you probably already know him, you know, he's uh, he's passionate about cybersecurity and technology in general. Um, he's also, interestingly enough, he's a pilot in training and a scuba diver, which is near and dear if anybody knows me, near and dear to my heart. So, uh, welcome to the show, Mark Bristow. Thanks a lot. Appreciate uh, being here. And yes, so, my title is quite the mouthful. <laughs> yes, and we're gonna, so we're gonna we're gonna work backwards. We'll we'll start at the beginning and we'll end up there. And you'll have to talk about kind of the evolution of some of the government uh, roles you, you've been in uh, now for a little while. I mean, you, you, this isn't the first title you've had uh, in government. No, no, I've had qu- had quite a few. And I, as I'm required by my lawyers to say, I'm not rep- here representing the government. <laughs> yes, this is the Mark Bristow story in, in no way, shape or form uh, government. <laughs> so, you know, I always say that cybersecurity people are kind of modern day uh, superheroes of a sort and all superheroes have a backstory. So let's do, you know, let's get into your backstory. You know, where where do you come from? Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from the the Philly area. Uh, so I grew up just the, in the burbs of Philadelphia, just north of the city, uh, in a place called Montgomery County. Horsham, if you know the area, it's a small little township uh, up in, in that area, mostly bedroom community, but uh, was a good place to grow up. You know, my my mom and dad were from that area. Uh, they met at, at uh, I think 16 when they were in high school, dating other people. Ironically, they were on a double date with other people, and uh, and they decided they liked each other better. <laughs> So, uh, you know, awesome. kind of a classic story. Um, but uh, yeah, I grew up in that area and uh, lived there up until I, uh, you know, left and went to went to school. So I, I always like to ask people where uh, where technology intersects, and some, you know, occasionally it's it's late in life for some folks. Other people are like, no, as soon as I could get on a computer, I was. What, what's your technology story? So I, I was definitely an early adopter. That so, doesn't surprise me about you. <laughs> you know, I was always interested in like sci-fi and technology, and my my father uh, did thirty some odd years uh, at uh, at Honeywell. Uh, as in their industrial control systems uh, division. And so I've been around uh, technology, high-end technology for, you know, a really long time. You know, ever since growing up, your dad would just take me into the lab and like watch actuators go and and all that kind of stuff. And I was always just really interested in in technology from like that perspective, as well as, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, early adopter, we had computers that you had to hook up with the, uh, uh, you know, little bunny ears adapters to your TV to make the the computer go, and you know, predating the TRS 80s, and you know, uh, uh, working on computers that had no uh, had no persistent memory capability, etc. So, tinkering, building. I built a uh, uh, you know, I was Johnny Five one year for Halloween. I built a costume with like lights and stuff that would blink. <laughs> it was just 
dad had a workshop downstairs, you know, with uh, with resistors and transistors and and he had a double a double E background, electrical engineering background and, and taught me things about how to be an engineer and how to do uh, electronics. And yeah, I just kind of never really let go of it. Uh, you know, it was definitely, you know, the apple doesn't fall particularly far from that individual tree. Yeah, well, you're, you're. Uh, I'd say we're probably 50-50 on the interview so far of people that that they're, you know, the, right from the get-go, they started working with, uh, you know, working with technology. Um, I'm curious if, you know, any, you know, at at, uh, at the younger ages, it's not really doing security work, but were you were you the kind of kid that was also looking at how do you get into some of these systems and any of that sort of thing? Yeah. So uh, funny story that uh, I, I like to tell people, and my dad does too, is so when. <laughs> When I was 10 and, and dad was uh, a line engineer um, uh, working on the Honeywell uh, um, TDG, uh, TDC 3000 series uh, uh, equipment, he brought me in on a weekend, uh, you know, Saturday and like, you know, dad had to go do some work. And so he brought me in because, again, his kid like technology. There's lots of cool things to play with and touch. And uh, so brought me to the lab and I was playing around with the TDC 3000 uh, uh, HMI operator workstation, which, you know, back in the day, workstation, operator workstations were like furniture, right? Like, you know, it was, it was like the desk as well as the monitor. And it had a touch screen, which was super cool, right? Because touch screens, and they said, that's where they had the kind of the grid, the, the matrix grid there that was, uh, you know, uh, IR grid, which was identified where you pushed in. You had to go real straight at it. Otherwise, it didn't work. Anyway, so I was playing with this touchscreen, and all of a sudden, all the valves in the test lab, which was set up to be like a petrochemical refining uh, lab, obviously yeah. no actual chemicals, blew open, including the ones that were supposed to fail closed. Yeah. Uh, so dad goes, what the heck did you do, son? Resets all the valves uh, and you know, resets the system, turns it back on, do it again. Right. And I remembered exactly what I did. I hit all the right buttons in that, you know, and bam, all the valves in the in, in the lab blow open again. <laughs> and uh, I love it. So 10 year old Mark Bristow found a class one. Uh, what Honeywell has kind of classes for their bugs. I found a class one vulnerability in, in Honeywell equipment because I was just inquisitive and just pushed buttons uh, and remembered how to push those buttons again. And, and you know, I, I didn't know I didn't know to call that fuzzing. I didn't think of that as hacking. I was just playing with the cool technology and, it, and yeah. making it do something that it's not really supposed to do. And then, you know, it was fun. So that, you know, I, I had access to control systems as a, as a, as a young kid and, and had that breaker mindset pretty early on. It's just part of my personality, I guess. That's awesome. I, you know, I learn uh, at least a few things every time I do these interviews. And, and so that's a cool um, early story. Uh, not many people have, uh, you know, uh, breaking or, or uh, like you said, you know, hacking a uh, or fuzzing, whatever term you want to use a control system when they're, you know, when they're that young. So you come by this, uh, you come by this story early. So, you know, with that kind of exposure, it's probably no big surprise. I know you, you did pursue a technical, uh, technical degree. Yep. Um, is that sort of foregone conclusion based on that origin story? Like, this is what interests me. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm one of those anomalies when it comes to my even in high school, I, I was I was focused on technical stuff. Uh, I've always been a geek. I went to space camp where I also, by the way, in a very similar story, uh, figured out how to make the computer drop the uh, um, the space shuttles uh, engines before they were supposed to. So while it was on the launch pad, I opened up all the uh, uh, all the locks that held the, the solid rocket boosters on while it was on the pad and blew it up in the simulation. <laughs> And you're like totally not supposed to do that. I bypassed so many safety controls when I did that. And they 
they didn't believe it at first. Anyway, you, you see a pattern here. Uh, there is a pattern, yes. <laughs> it's, I, I press buttons until it does my bidding. Uh, is it, kind of been uh, is a good way to encapsulate my career. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, but even even in high school, I was in technical classes. I I went for I never got my Microsoft certification for being a certified administrator as a high school class because it was offered in my school. You know, my parents were very supportive. I, I was in a school that was good, even though it's a small place outside of Philly. So I, I'm also one of the anomalies where I went to college as a, I entered college as a computer engineering major, and I got a degree as a computer engineer. Uh, you know, most people get into, into college and they change their, their, their yeah. major at least once, if not twice. Yeah. Uh, nope. I wanted to learn the intersection between hardware and software. And uh, and that's really what computer engineers do is kind of where the, the it's very similar to control systems where you know where that hardware and software interface happens. You know what I ended up getting my degree in was was in computer engineering. No, it makes sense. You 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 you've got a, a yeah a clearer vision. Like you're right, most people don't don't have that early on. So what do you do first when uh, when you get out? Oh, at right out of school. So I find uh, employment. <laughs> you know, I first worked uh, out of school at a company called uh, SRA. So I actually had two two jobs uh, offers. I had one at uh, I'd worked uh, at the uh, uh, Sikorsky aircraft while I was at school. That's that's what the helicopter is in the back. I worked on the stealth helicopter program as an intern. And that opened up some doors for me at Boeing, who was a partner in that. And I had two job offers. I had one at Boeing Space Systems which was the coolest job interview I've ever been on. We spent 15 minutes of interview because there was nothing they could tell me about the job anyway, because it was all classified. And and then they took me around the Seal Beach facility out there um, looking at, uh, they basically have a private museum of like space shuttle launches and the command module was, was integrated there and all kinds of stuff. It was really awesome interview. I didn't take that job. I ended up going to the East coast, man, because I, don't like Mexican food, and there was just too much of it there. Uh, I, literally, that's why I didn't work at Boeing. <laughs> um, and uh, went to SRA. It was also on the East Coast, closer to home, closer to family. Ended up working, uh, you know, they're basically a contracting shop here in the DC Metro. Got a job doing uh, programming for uh, um, uh, a government agency, and that was super boring. So I automated most of my job and then uh, started doing security professionally, which I had done previously. You know, back in the day when I was a kid on my computer on FNet, you know, did bad things to my computer, stopped that, and then learned that they, that's like a career choice, <laughs> you know, at the Apple. end of the day. <laughs> Light bulb. You know, really went for that, you know, kind of that continual breaker mindset and started doing uh, web application security and that kind of stuff professionally at SRA, you know, and kind of took my programmer job and kind of just turned it in the job I actually wanted anyway. You know, obviously I was doing that with the approval of my bosses, but, uh, you know, I I found new ways to to provide some value that they didn't see yet. And so, but my customer like uh, luckily did. And so I was able to kind of transition that away from doing, you know, database programming and and scripting and turning that into more useful security, but not in the control system space. I I was in kind of traditional security prior to my next job, but uh, we'll get there, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, that's where people, you know, where security practitioners come from is an interesting thing. As I talk to so many people with uh, the CSA exposure, which is so diverse, and there's, you know, engineers who then learn some, some security later, and then there's IT people that, that add security to it, then programmers, you know, versus network, you know, network-centric folks, programmers. You know, I, I'm curious your viewpoint on the journey you've been on coming from a programmer origin 
uh, how you feel that's been. And there's people asking themselves right now, especially people trying to say, where do I go with my career path? Do I specialize? What choices do I make early? And how? what do they determine later? I think there's a lot of, over time, if you keep adding knowledge, you can start one place and add, you know, and, and end up in lots of places. But I'm curious what the programming underpinning for you, whether you say that that, you know, is matters today. It does. What learning to do to 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 hack together code, which isn't necessarily programming, but then also learning how to program. Although, again, you know, I was focused on that hardware software, so it was more like firmware level stuff. But ended up getting a job in regular programming. I think what that taught me was logical logical execution flow. How to get a a computing device to do your bidding. And the way you want it to do and like how to do logical execution. So people, I, at one point I was learning three different types of assembly language, three different versions of assembly language at the same time, which is something I absolutely do not recommend. Um, but I, I was doing it because I had three different classes in it and that's just how it went, right? But, and, and I was doing rather well in that with, uh, in comparison to my peers. And, and somebody asked me once like, well, how do you, like, you, there's this language you've never seen before. How are you doing it? And I was like, well, because I don't, the syntax is the last thing I add in. I, I wanted to do a thing. I break the thing into its component parts. Mm. And I say, this is the way that it needs to execute. And this piece needs to break off. And it can come back in later when we're ready to, when we're ready for that data, right? It, it teaches me logical execution flow and like state machines, which is a big thing about embedded systems design and programming. And that taught me how to kind of logically approach problems and forget programming, right? The, the reasons I could go from C to Java was because it's just the words you type at the end of the day. The execution flow is the same, right? Once you understand the parameters of the language, the execution flow is the same. Well, the same thing's true in a lot of things in life, right? It's really about, yeah, that's a huge problem. How could we ever do that? Or we can just take it, start bringing it down into its component parts, yeah. have kind of a vision about where we are, where we're going to get, and you know, make little adjustments along the way. Well, that doesn't work the way we've wanted to, but as long as it gets the output the way we need it to to this thing, we're fine, right? You know, that flexibility, that systems design kind of mindset, I think has really benefited me across my career in just learning logic and learning how to just kind of break things down and then attack those things. That makes total sense. And you can apply that to a lot of things. So if we've got people listening who are who are happen to be, you know, programmers. And they're like wanting to to add something to their career path, become a specialist, get into cybersecurity. Uh, what would you recommend that maybe they do next? Yeah. So if you're if you're doing development as in systems design and you want to get into cybersecurity, you're already there. You just don't know it. Frankly, uh, it's really about a different way of applying your skills that you have. That's something that I've kind of realized across my entire career. It's just it's about a lot of these kind of core kind of mental skills are things that you can apply in a lot of different domains. And if you've written the software, breaking the software is just about knowing all the little tricks that programmers will do to avoid problem sets. Like, oh yeah, memory is hard. And so I'm just going to assign memory addresses without doing all the rest of the checking. Cause uh, you know, I've got 50,000 tickets to deal with and, and I don't have the time. And then finding those little places where the human makes the mistake and then exploiting them is, is really all it is. And people who have built networks are the best at penetrating networks. People who have built software are the best at finding those vulnerabilities in that software because you have the experience of the other side of the coin. You know, red informs sure. blue, blue informs red. If you've professionally built software, 
you know where those weak points are, even if you're not viewing them as weak points right now. But you actually have a leg up that maybe that person who just went to the, you know, vulnerability exploit development class isn't going to have that same intrinsic knowledge that you are, which is going to, frankly, yeah. give you an advantage. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that you know, there may be some people listening that that that's that gave them some clues of, of you know that they've got a head start already. We know we have a huge job shortage. I think people are always asking, where do we draw from? Where do these people come from? And there are quite a few programs now at you know most universities for for software engineering. And so those folks, you know, that could be a really good base plate, I guess, to build on to, to get into this. And your logic, that logic, makes sense to me the way you the way you outlined it. So what do you do after S, uh, SRA? I bounced around a little bit in SRA. I ended up joining their penetration testing team. Uh, again, kind of had a unprofessional background in in those types of skills, <laughs> um, and then started using those as part of their pen testing team. Uh, did that for a little while. Wanted to kind of merge some old passions in in control systems and and, and you know the physicalness of of ICS is always and again it goes back to being a computer engineer it's what where where the like the the, the where I, cyberspace meets meat space is what i call it now right um is you know it's always interest me and i really want to get uh control systems kind of program going at at uh, and this is in the 2006 time frame and there wasn't really a big community in control system cybersecurity marketplace you know there was a couple of people out there doing it but it wasn't a lot i i kind of made my pitch and uh you know SRA didn't necessarily see the 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 business value in it long term, and uh, I kind of asked some other questions about what their kind of plans were for how to expand their cybersecurity business. Um, learned that maybe the our long term paths weren't uh, weren't 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 meant to be, and so I started looking for other roles. Uh, I went out in the marketplace. I started looking. I almost got a job with I think it was KPMG doing more pen testing of airports. Again, that physical cyber consequence has just kind of been in my career, even though I didn't know what to call it. I didn't take that job. So, and this is a a great piece of career advice uh, that I I absolutely recommend everyone do. Whenever you're given a job offer, right, you actually have it on paper. Don't accept that right away. It doesn't matter when you get it, sleep on it, sleep on it one night. And if you still, the job offer will still be there in the morning. And frankly, if they're trying to push you into the job offer, like right then, you probably don't want to work there. <laughs> That's on the flag. But even if you think it's your dream job, sleep on it for one night. I, I put it on my desk. I waited. I didn't sign it. I woke up the next morning. I checked my email. Um, and I had an, an interview offer from another company that had just found my job on my resume on Monster. Uh, and it was uh, a man by the name of Mike Cheney who worked at uh, a company called SecureCon. When I meet, it was a Thursday. I said, "Hey, can you come in for an interview today?" It's like, "Sure, why not?" You know, I I had already taken the day off, so it was fine. And and went in, did an interview, and the next day I did sign a job offer, but it wasn't the one I had that morning, right? And I went to SecureCon instead because they were a company focused on industrial control systems, cybersecurity, which is exactly where I wanted to be, and I and I learned that kind of through my process, and so it was a really great opportunity for me, and and. Had I signed that KPMG offer, I probably never would have taken that interview if I hadn't slept on it that night. And uh, I would definitely not be here talking to you if I went off and pen tested airports instead of working at SecureCon. That is a great share right there. So I, I love that. You know, wait, sleep on it one night minimum. You know, any 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 pressure to to do otherwise is sort of weird anyway. So it's not going to go away. And yeah, it gives you a chance for perspective or a chance for for serendipity, like you said, something just happened. I also liked that you 
you know, another thing that you shared there was that you, you know, whether it was a culture that was just accepting or it was just your nature, but it's a good idea. You asked, what's the vision? And so I think that's, that's true too for people at all sorts of levels of the careers to say, what's the vision for the organization I'm part of right now? And, and does it match where I, you know, where I, where I want to go? Yeah. And, and frankly, if you have somebody in a leadership position that can't without prep answer that question. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times where like they have secret knowledge that they can't divulge to you, right? About what the, the vision yeah. and execution of the company, that's kind of one thing. But if they don't have a vision about where they're going next, you should always have a vision about where you're going next. And that can be a really great indicator too of, you know, is this really a place that I want to be? Because, you know, if you're not moving, you're dying in all things, right? And so you've got to always be growing and always be building. And if you don't, if you're, if you're just hoping that doing what we're doing today is going to last forever, that's, that's not a, that's not a plan. And, and frankly, not a, I was a brazen, uh, frankly, young employee, but honestly, uh, I encourage all of my, even my new employees to, you know, hold me accountable to what we're doing and why we're doing it. Right. And if, if you don't understand, that means somebody else doesn't understand too. And I'm not doing my job as a leader. Right. And so it's important to ask, where are we headed? So we all understand where we're going. It's really, it's critical. It's critical. You know, that that's probably a good segue into another thing I always ask everybody in that sort of processing you're doing. Any mentors uh, assisting your journey there or, or anywhere along that path? Yeah, I mean, I've had a number of, of influences. I've had a number of mentors. I've had a number of people who have opened up doors for me, broadened my horizons. Mike uh, is a great person who who helped me kind of move from SecureCon ultimately to the government. You know, and just uh, just sitting there talking to him, you know, in the parking garage some days were just some of the best conversations. You know, I've had formal mentors. I've had informal mentors and a lot of people that have kind of helped me along the way. You know, I think that you have something to learn from absolutely everybody and something to share with absolutely everybody. Uh, it's about finding what those things are. And and I've had just too, too many to count of people who have ultimately contributed along the way to 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 what I consider to be reasonable success anyway. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's that's defined by by the beholder, right? You yeah. you like what you're doing, you like where you are. You and I talked once, and you know, like I'm choosing to be where I'm at. Yeah. Not everybody can say that. A lot of people feel like they're they have to do what they're doing, and you you're able to say I'm choosing this, and that's a pretty powerful thing to be able to say. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I I I like to tell people um, I hate working for the government, but I love what I do because <laughs> let me tell you, working for the government is a very challenging proposition. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of confusing rules. There's a lot of Acronym. things that make a lot of sense uh, that, that should make a lot of sense that, that don't. Like, for example, you know, you might have a huge training budget, which is a gift. And, and, and something we do at, at CISA is really invest in our employees. But at the same time, there are so many rules to actually use the training budget. It might take you six months to get one training class through. So while you may have near, you know, what is to an individual employee, an infinite training budget, it's using it is hard, right? You know, I, I, I always say, you know, all the easy stuff, all the hard stuff or all the easy stuff is hard, you know, in government. And there's just lots of rules and laws and, and things that, that don't come in. But I could do something that's very different than any other role I can, I can find. You know, I work on behalf of the American people. I'm uh, chasing often some of the most concerning adversaries that that you can that you know if you don't work for government in some cases you don't even know that those adversaries exist and, and that information can't be promulgated well but but you know I 
and my team, you know, get to work on that problem set. And hopefully if I do my job well, uh, it's a great, uh, it's funny. I'm wearing my Futurama shirt. There's a great Futurama, uh, uh, thing about this where, where Bender gets shot off into space and, you know, he meets God. And, and at the end of the episode, God says, God, who's actually a nebula or something like that. It goes, if you've done things right, people won't be able to tell you've done anything at all. I will tell you, there's things that we've done right that because we have, no one has any idea. And that's exactly the way I like it, right? No, that's the nature of some of the work you're pursuing. I mean, that yeah. is self, yeah, it's self-defining, right? Um, yeah. To cause something not to happen, something bad to not to happen. Well, the absence of it is is not observable. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, and I get to work with a lot of great people. And I in the government, though, you, it does open a lot of doors and it, and it puts you in places you'd never get elsewhere and it's just it, it, it's a good role i i like it obviously because if i didn't i would leave and i'm still there so uh you well, know it's uh i do get to choose to be there but it's also nice to know that you have skills that are that, that can be used and again kind of going back to the earlier part of the conversation even things like just you know if i needed to go feed my family i could go sling code for a living and feed my family, right? So having that kind of those skills that are very transmutable and and things that you can do different things if you so choose really provide you freedom to uh, do what you want, and that's really the best place to be. Yeah, I looked forward to this particular interview, and you've just touched on one of the things I, I hope we would get to, which is you know people say what where do I want to go? Do I want to do I want to go work at this size company? You know, and that question gets asked a lot of big company or a small company, and what are the, the differences. And government, do I want to go work at government? And you didn't use the word, but what I heard, you know, as a former military person myself, I heard mission. Yep. And there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, having a mission is something that's important, something that's bigger than you. And we can't always say that in commercial enterprises. We can say what I do is important, but that mission sense is not always there. And so that's a choice. I think if you're listening and you're you're wondering, you know, would I want to go work in government? If that kind of sounds the way, you know, the way you described it, Mark, might sound interesting to some people and, and say, well, that, that is an alternative to go to go join them, you know, join an important mission. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is. I mean, for me, it, it is definitely a, a mission, right? You know, I'm trying to make sure America stays safe and our critical infrastructure stays safe to the extent I can. That's a cool thing to work on, frankly. And, and, and mission is an important is an important piece of how I drive value, you know. Early in your career, a lot of people chase the paycheck. That's okay, especially when you when you're coming right out of school and you need a job to pay off loans or whatever it is. You know, you need to eat. But as you as you move forward in your career, I think one thing that everyone goes through this journey is they start to realize that it's not all about the dollars you earn. It, it's there's a lot of value in roles that are not directly tied to your dollars. Of course, I feel this way because. Even as a GS-15 employee in the federal government, I'm still underpaid uh, from what I could. I still get offers somewhat regularly from, from colleagues and companies out there. I could make a lot more money if I chose to, but I'm choosing not to. It, it's not all about just the, the paycheck. It's, it's about, do you feel that you're having a positive impact? Are you working in an environment with people that you, know, you care about and that you know care about you? you know, those are things that are... As you move forward in your career and the money starts to matter, maybe a little bit less as it gets bigger, uh, It, it uh, those are the, start, the things that you start to really, really value. And those values change over time, right? You know, different people have different things. And some people really want to make the biggest, they want to go make $50 million a year, go work for banks or something. Um, and that's fine. If that's what makes you happy, do that. But you got to find what motivates you and, and definitely impact is one of the things that motivates me. Yeah. Well, you, you're... Um... 
you've been involved in the mission at DHS, you know, uh, what are you coming up on eight, probably eight years now, something like that? So I've, I've been a federal employee since May of 2013. Okay. And then I was, when I was with Securicon, I, I started off working with their, um, doing penetration testing, assessment, NERC SIP audits, sorry, pre-NERC SIP audits, you know, those types of things for commercial clients, um, and then went into the federal federal role uh, at Securicon. And so I've actually been working in the same building for 12 years now. Yeah, 12 you just, years. You just switched, switched hats uh, along the way. Um, yeah, it, it, well, kind of pursuant to the earlier conversation, it was about impact. DHS really needed somebody. I was working for Monica Marr, somebody I still stay in contact with. Uh, she's at Goldman Sachs now, but and Monica was just overtasked. And the incident response mission was not getting the focus that I thought it needed to at ICS CERT. And I knew that I could fill that void. But to do it, I had to jump and become a federal employee. And so I basically, uh, I asked Marty Edwards, who was the, the the director of ICS CERT at the time. I said, hey, Marty, uh, can we meet up for beers? And so we, we did. And, uh, you know, we went out to, uh, uh, it's now closed, but uh, a restaurant uh, in the D.C. area the next time Marty was in town because he, he was out in Idaho. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I think I want to make the jump. And I, I think Marty was shocked um, because... I've been pretty adamant that I would never become a federal employee. And now I'm, you know, seven years deep, seven and a half. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I, I've, I've done a lot of things. I never, I said, I'd never do. Uh, I also said I'd never work at DHS and do well here. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Don't say never. It's silly. But yeah. So I, I asked Marty, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in becoming a federal employee, but like this, but this is the role I want. Like, it's not, I don't want to just become a fed. Like I want to do that. And well, uh, so that, does that explain why as the different roles, hunt incident response and hunting is is woven into some title changes but incident response and hunting is all in there and still is today yeah yeah and 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 control systems too you know i I said to marty i was like look if you can create a job because the job didn't exist if you can create a role for me to lead incident response for ic cert to to, because you know one of my job titles in my resume is you know i was the chief of uh incident management response at ic cert if you can make that a federal position i want it but if if, if you want me to go work on a, the assessments team, I'm cool. I did assessments professionally, right? I, I, it's, not what I, it's not what I like. I, I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I've learned this about myself. Uh, it's, it's demonstrated in my hobbies. You know, scuba diving is not the safest thing. It's actually pretty safe, but it's not the safest thing. Uh, I like to ski. I'm learning to fly airplanes. Instant response is an adrenaline game. That's what I wanted to do. And I knew that I had the I had the the needed capability to make it better. And that's and so I, I kind of went for and this is another thing for you know, go for if you want something and you've like in your brain, you figured out actually what you want to do, don't like sit and wait for it. Take Marty Edwards out for a Guinness and ask for it. Right? Like take it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that that um, let's 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 accentuate that point. I mean, uh, that's just come up before. People are approachable, and yeah. uh, and you can say, hey, can I can I take you for a beer or for coffee? Whether it's for mentorship or to say, I, I'd like to come join your organization. You know, whatever your your interest is. This community uh, has always struck me as being incredibly open, uh, particularly more so than some other communities I've you know been involved with. Yeah, I, I, that's so important too, and and honestly. In my career, I've worked on a lot of really high-profile cases. I've been in a lot of rooms with people whose you know faces and names you'd recognize, right? Uh, you know, quiet rooms like just the four of us type of thing. In every instance, uh, I've I've learned that 
everyone is just a person, right? At the end of the day, we all have families and kids and, you know, houses and, you know, it's, it's maybe your house is white and at 1600, but you're still just at the end of the day, a human, most people are, are at the end of the day approachable and, and you shouldn't be scared of trying to talk to somebody who maybe you idolize because at the end of the day, they're just a person too. And most people, if you come up and want to have a, an honest conversation and, and talk about something that they care about, you're, they're going to have that conversation. And, and frankly, the ones that aren't receptive to that probably aren't really worth your time anyway. Now, granted, you know, people's busy schedules, et cetera. But at the, at the same time, most people, especially this community, I think is great. I love being a part of this community because it is really open. And people are, are usually pretty generous with your time. Sometimes you just got to ask. But they're usually like ready to help you like dive you know, as as one of my colleagues, Jay, says all the time, he's like, I want to aggressively support that, right? They will come in and aggressively help you, maybe more than you're ready, but they're but they're so giving because I think a lot of people in this particular, in the control system security community are really passionate about some of the things that drive me to the mission on, right? And, and making that big impact. And so we're yeah. all here to help each other, right? And that's great. I love, I love that about this community. Yeah, and that that has been echoed by more than one guest on the show. That that same sort of set of qualities, and uh, yeah, like you said, you just sometimes you just gotta ask. And so I think that's that's true for for anybody. And there's people who are entry level. There maybe they've been all IT and they're truly wizards in that, and they they want to get in this OT thing. Like, well, reach over to somebody you know in in uh, you know the process control domain or or in the you know the the OT environment over there and say, hey, I want to I want to pick your brain. You know, it's True expertise in technology, you know, in networking technology and cybersecurity and operating technology, it's a fewer group of people. We joke sometimes that those are unicorns, but it is true if you're looking to be, and this is a question I'm going to ask you, you know, about what somebody can look to get into now to be highly sought after five five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, you know, what what would you point them to say, yeah, you should, you should be taking a look at this now and you'll be a very hot commodity in the not too distant, you know, distant future. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing that really helped me in my journey. Um, there, there were two kind of critical things that really helped me helped me out. One was at, at Skorsky Aircraft. I was writing a paper on the security of the uh, of the helicopter, and uh, I used Ohm's law. Right, those of you not in electrical engineering, Ohm's law is like you know V equals IR. Right, like, this is like the, the 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 everybody knows this. It's the tenet of of, of electrical engineering. My boss made me cite it. I was like, you want me to cite Ohm's law? Right? He's like, if you can't show your homework when asked, you didn't really do it, right? And sometimes you just got to be able to show that show that homework, right? So like being able to kind of take your hubris out of the equation and let your work speak for itself is, is a really kind of critical thing. That And I worked a help desk job at an ISP. And I learned so much about how to work with people in that job that you might not expect. I think if you follow Swift on security on on uh, on Twitter, uh, you know they uh, also worked you know helped us for a long time. And like you learn a whole lot. For me, I think the foundational things that I I did completely by accident. There was no grand plan. Is is learn how to communicate effectively and how to kind of take your personality out of the situation and just do do the good work right. And you will be successful. Now. Those building blocks aren't enough, right? You got to actually work on something that is going to is going to be supported, and that you can find 
gainful employment and down the road. And that's where, for me, it's 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 things that are fundamentals. You're going to have a lot of people chasing the machine learning AI rainbow right now. Awesome. Quantum computing. Awesome. If you're in physics and you want to do quantum computing, good for you. But like if you're just trying to get into security and you're going to like try and go after quantum mechanics, don't. Right. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. I think the quantum mechanics for dummies book. Doesn't doesn't that work? Oh, man. My quantum mechanics class was one of the classes that really hurt my head. It's like, it's really here and not here at the same time. Like it's all probable. You mean if I, you mean I can't, there's a non-zero chance I can push my hand through my desk. Like this is insane. At the end of the day, if you're interested in security, and this is something I've learned over my entire career is that the technology changes all the time and you got to stay up on your technology, right? You can't let that languish, right? You got, you got to stay up on, and that's a, that's a, that's a forever thing. But at the end of the day, the big challenges are people challenges. Finding it's about convincing somebody that they need to do implement that technology or convincing someone that they need to change their password and why that's valuable and, and communicating it. You know, most of the big challenges we have in cybersecurity have nothing to do with the tech and have everything to do with the people. And if you want to really be successful, yes, the, you got to have some level of technical understanding, but pr- the root challenges are really human, not technical, even in a highly technical field. And that was something that took me a, a while to learn. But once you have that kind of realization, and I'm sure some people will watch this and, you know, they somebody's going to get it. Cool. I'm, I'm with you. Somebody's going to go, uh, he's, you know, it's really about ones and zeros. Cool, man. You'll be with me in a couple of years, I promise. Uh, but it's that it's that human connection, the human challenges, motivating factors, why people do what they do. Those are the things that really are going to be the skills that are going provi- to launch you into a leader down the road. Because right now, my job isn't ones and zeros. I lead a team of, geez, if you count my contractors, I think I have 260 people in my kind of chain of in, sphere of chain of command. And then there's your sphere of influence, which is the entire threat hunting subdivision. So you're talking, you know, uh, what, like 500 people roughly, right? That, that you know, I, we'll get to my role, but like where I'm kind of helping uh, command and control what their actions are, right? So there's, you know, but that's that's really about people. It's, it's not about what one and what zero to go after. It's about how do we get this team to work cohesively against a goal, and then execute that, which, by the way, is exactly going back to like the thing about programming. That's what programming is, right? It's about decomposition of a complex problem, applying different types of resources and strategies against that problem to ultimately achieve your goal, right? Now I'm just doing it with humans instead of technology. But I learned it in programming, right? And so like it, it's, it's about kind of finding how those things will help you work better with other humans, so that you can all achieve a goal together. And that that's really the that that's that's the thing that's really hard to teach. But if you get it, you're gonna do really well. Awesome. That's an awesome share and the kind of thing I would would have tried to provoke and you just organically brought it up. I mean it's it's that's that's good good wisdom to pass on to folks. Anything you'd go back and tell your younger self uh, if you could, if you went all the way all the way back to the beginning at your career, um, any any words of wisdom you'd you'd pass on to younger Mark? You've yeah, already kind of done some of that. I have a little bit. I I I think I would definitely tell younger Mark that it's not about the technology because I, I could have avoided a lot of pain along the way where, you know, just trying to ramrod technical solutions to fundamentally human problems. It's sure. never successful. That would have been a, 
a lesson I would have liked to learn earlier and, and frankly, still continually learning and always be learning <laughs> that, that, that particular lesson. I didn't have a lot of trouble with this, but there were times in my past where, where I did. It's okay to ask questions and it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't know something, raise your hand and ask the question. Uh, there's been times, and I'm, I'm usually a pretty forward person, so it's not often a challenge for me, but it's been a challenge for me in the past. And it, you be inquisitive and stay inquisitive. And if you don't know something, learn it. Don't be afraid to learn it. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to look stupid because you, you'll look really stupid when you just have been faking it forever and you don't know, right? So always kind of have that inquisitive mindset is something that, you know, I, I had to some extent, but I, I lost my way a few times in there. And it's something that I would have, if I could provide that beacon of light from from now to then, it's stay inquisitive would really, I, and, and can be hungry to be learning is really something that, you know, I, I kind of wish I understood better when I was younger, because I think I'd be doing other better stuff now uh, if I learned that better. Well, that's more, more, more great, great advice. As we wrap this up, what, what's actually, well, wait, you got to explain the current, the current title. So you've been at DHS for, you know, coming up soon on eight years and, and there's been, uh, uh, ICSs and certs and end kicks and uh, DHSs and hurts and you got a bunch of acronyms. Explain the title today and what you what you do. All right, so we'll we'll start from you know we'll we'll start from the top, right? So uh, at DHS, right? So I work at the Department of Homeland Security. Okay, from there I'm at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. We like security so much it's got to be in our name twice. <laughs> then I work in the side uh, the Cybersecurity Division. Inside of that is the Threat Hunting Subdivision. Then I am the branch chief of cyber defense coordination and operations in that subdivision. What does that actually mean <laughs> is, is the question. If you're military, the best way to explain this to you in one hit is I'm the J3 and the J6 at the same time. If you're not military and have no idea what I just said, which is probably most of you, my role and, and the people who work directly for me in the organization's role is to conduct operations. So the way we have our, our organization set up is like all operations that, that counter various adversaries. My, my tagline at work is, right now is, how did you frustrate the adversary today, right? What did you do to make Vladimir Putin's day just a little bit worse today? You know, so they're focused on the plan for the operations, executing either hunts, incident responses, uh, working with our vulnerability management team to close off gaps, kind of doing all of that, right? So they're focused on kind of the tactical operations piece. I'm also our internal capability provider, which is, I, you know, I provide all of the, the, the network. I'm the system owner for the network. Uh, you know, I'm providing the incident response kits, the field, the tech, all the things that we use to, to go do our mission uh, I that, that aren't provided by somebody else or provided by my team. And then I have my control systems team. And the control systems team is like, a little baby CISA inside of threat hunting who's building capabilities for control system cybersecurity, doing research for control system cybersecurity, building tools and putting them out in the public, right? Doing some public good uh, on control system security, looking for using the uniquely positioned knowledge that we have in government to look at adversary capabilities with a different perspective and start to think about how can we counter those capabilities? Maybe they have never used them, but in the future, they're gonna one day. You don't build something with the intent of never using it. So like 
when they do, when they pull that one out, how are we going to take care of that? You know, those are the things that, you know, my ICS specific ICS team uh, is working on. So I have these kind of current operations, future operations, and then I have current operations support all of my kind of portfolio, which is a wide portfolio to have. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's a lot. And it's a, it's not a static, none of those are a static problem area. Like, okay, I do this and it's kind of a known thing. They're all uh, emerging, growing, morphing. <laughs> yep. I, so, I, I, I am very comfortable with change. <laughs> and, and like you said, adrenaline, uh, things that, that spike adrenaline. So I can see why you're, uh, you're, you're drawn to it. You're, you're kind of uh, uh, flying the aircraft, getting ready to jump out of it with scuba gear on. And, you know, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when, when we were the, the Huntington's response team, the way I best characterized it, and I don't mean to to insult anybody who has actually did this for a living, but we, we're like, we're kind of the equivalent of like the cyber special forces. We train different, we equip different, we execute on weird missions. It's not that we're going to go patch your network. It's you're, you're going to call us when it's gone sideways. You really need it fixed. You need it fixed fast. And there, you need somebody with specialized skills and experience. That's that for me. That's where the government kind of we we have those things. We 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 are the backstop of cybersecurity, right? We should never be the forefront of cybersecurity in so much that like you know if you need somebody to help you secure your network, there's a million companies out there that you can hire to do that, right? But if you have a weird problem that you're very confused in, like this is somewhere where we we can potentially help you identify if that weird problem has been shared or maybe it's one of those capabilities that adversaries have not previously known to have previously used, but we can do something about, right? So that, that that's the kind of stuff that, that that we do. And it's a it's a it's an ever-changing job. But it's okay. I like it. So as we wrap up, Mark, what is your what are you, you know, looking ahead as far as you can gaze ahead? What are you excited about in the future? I, I mean, I'll tell you one thing that I really am excited about in this, especially in this field. And one of the reasons why, you know, I also I, I'm instructor at SANS, one of the reasons why I teach is when I started in this community, it was very small. It was small. Everyone, everyone knew everybody. Uh, there was never a face you didn't know at the conference, right? And if it was, it was one. <laughs> and this area is finally getting the attention that it deserves. I think the, the, the mass population is starting to actually like understand why this is important to their daily lives and why they need to demand that their uh, control systems be secure. And, and uh, this is for those of us who are around as, you know, uh, you know, BS before Stuxnet, when, you know, we never really actually had a real control system cyber attack. And, and you talk to people about this and they're like, ah, it can't really happen. Uh, you know, air gap. Yeah. Air gap. Yeah. Air gaps. Right. Um, we've come so far in the people side of the problem, the technology, for every countermeasure we come up with, the adversary will come up with a counter-countermeasure. We're, we're always going to be in that arms race, and it's always going to be there. But we're, like, starting to have the humans and the brain power, and, and I get to work, th- that are interested and passionate about this. That was just, like, there were only – there were so few of us before, and now it's exploding, and I love it. I, I, I love that we have these people passionate I love that I have people who 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 work for me who are so smart that I can barely understand half the things that they're saying. Like I, I love that, right? Because right now my job is to take care of the problems today. 
right? And and I'm doing my best to help with that. But like, I have real hope for our future because we have more people working on this problem where people understand why they need to invest in it. They're valuing it, right? And, and you know, those people challenges, uh, they'll always be there to some extent, but we've come so far with that. And I'm just so excited about the future in in this in this field. And, and I feel like, you know, I've helped to some small, small part, I have helped build that future for us. And that makes me proud, frankly, of, of what I've done so far. And I'm not done, right? I, yeah, I'm, I'm 38. I have a lot more career to go and I'm a government. So like early retirement is not a thing. Uh, so you'll be seeing me for a while and maybe I'll switch contacts. You never know. Like people change careers, but like, I'm still passionate here, and 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 I, but I'm really hopeful that we'll get off this hamster wheel of pain eventually because we've just got some really great people working the problem. Well, as I, I find myself talking to people who are on active duty in one of the branches, I always thank them for their service. But I think that applies here as well. You know, that's the same. You're you're in uh, you're in a, a cyber battlefield. Uh, there's no there's no question about it. No one's shooting at me though. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's not- it's not no personal safety. Same. I've been spied on, but I'm pretty sure I've never had any personal safety issues. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, my military uh, friends, you know, they, they they put their lives on the line. It's nothing compared to what I do, but thank you. Yeah, well, we got to have people manning all the different parts, and this is a big part. So, okay, now we get to my favorite part of the show where I get to uh, borrow something from another show that I enjoy, Inside the Actor Studio, which uh, has run for many, for decades. Uh, the long-running host, James Lipton, has passed on. Uh, I believe they replaced him with someone new. But he he ran uh, the show for a long, long time, interviewing all the greatest uh, actors and actresses on his stage uh, about their journey, similar to what we've done today in, in uh, you know in a different space. But he always ended the show with the Pivot questionnaire, which he borrowed from a French show, you know, decades before that. So I feel like I'm I'm in good footsteps to borrow the exact same set of uh, ten questions if you're up for it. All right, let's do it. All right. What is your favorite word? Challenge. What is your least favorite word? Easy. And what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Problem solving. What turns you off? Answers. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> or abbreviation. As best said in Boondock Saints, fuck. That's a popular one. Diversity of the word. What sound or noise do you love? Rain. What sound or noise do you hate? The chalkboard thing. Oh, drives me nuts. (laughs) What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Lawyer. What profession would you like to not do? Chef. I'm, a bad, <laughs> I'm a bad cook. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You had a good run. All right. Thank you, Mark Bristow, Branch Chief for Cyber Defense Coordination and Operations in the Threat Handling Subdivision of Department of Homeland Security. That's a mouthful. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your personal journey and uh, and the wisdom you've collected along the way uh, for our many listeners. Thanks for having me.